0: All right. Galatians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, you're seated, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Anyone? No? All right. Galatians chapter 6. Continuing our series through the one another commands in the New Testament. We're going to look at the first five verses of Galatians 6. Let's read it. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, transgression. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you, be, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work. And that his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And Father, I pray that you would help us. Lord, help us to be able to absorb all that it is that you want us to know and to understand. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to respond. We pray your Holy Spirit would do that transformative work in our hearts to where we hear, we understand we respond. And we bear fruit. Lord, you can do this. You can do this, whether I preach the three minutes or thirty minutes or three hours. So we just pray, God, that you would do it. Only you can do in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, everyone in the recess. Amen. Amen. So this this command here to bear one another's burden—it's it, not so much a command that's like hey, make sure you help your brother move house or, uh, or or mend the fence or watch each other's children. That's important stuff. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about serving one another. But the idea here, the command here to bear one another is seen in this word in verse 1 that says restore. It's this idea of restore. And so it's less about like, hey, I am going to help someone move house and more like, hey, I'm going to help somebody reset their broken arm. I mean, can you imagine how intense that would be? This is what the word means. The word restore means to set a fractured bone, to put back in order, to mend broken nets. So we talk about burying one another. We're talking about restoring a brother or sister back onto that right path of God's grace. That's what we're talking about with burying one another. And so what we want to do, in as quickly as possible today, is we want to give you kind of three truths about restoration that can help us fulfill this command to bear one another's burdens. The first one, verse one, is which restoration is both everyone's need and everyone's ministry. I want you to know something about verse one. He says, "If anyone is caught in any transgression, this is a hopeful thing." Because the idea here is that there is no brokenness that's beyond God's restoration. It doesn't matter how messed up we are, God is able to fix us. God has provided for us through Christ what we need to be mended, what we need to be healed. In fact, it's funny because we, we should be, we're not always, but we should be the kind of people who can be very open and honest about our brokenness. Because God can heal anything. We should be the kind of people that don't kind of shrink back from certain transgressions of the people. Because Jesus can heal any brokenness. In fact, it's interesting. When Paul says this, it's kind of like he's presupposing. that they, they, Whoever reads this has a knowledge of what has been read before in Galatians. That they would know why we're broken and who alone can mend us. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know why we're broken. We're broken because we're born sinners. Adam, our first father, sinned. We've all fallen to sin. We're broken. And we know we can be better. Why? Because Christ died for our brokenness. Now, it's important that we see that when we're talking about this, this really has to impact. This really has to kind of lay the foundation and the framework for our being involved in bearing one another's burdens. It has to lay the framework for us restoring each other. We have to see Jesus as the restorer who welcomes anyone who will come to him. This is what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 6 when he says, all that that the Father gives me will come to me Notice, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I read a lot of books, most of them pretty good. Occasionally, I'll read a book that blows my mind. This is one of those books. Great book. I brought it to recommend. I might even buy a copy for everyone on our team because it's that good. And in this book, the, the author, it's called Gentle and Lowly, uh, the author, Dane Orland. he's talking about this verse, this John 16. Thirty-seven verse, and he talks about how we have a tendency to deflect Christ's assurances to us that he really will not cast us out. L- let me read this to you. It's going to be on the screen. Here's our, here's our deflection. No, wait, Christ, you don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus responds. Well, you know, most of it, sure, certainly more than what others can see, but there's perversity down inside me that's hidden from everyone. I know it all, says Jesus. Well, the thing is, it's not just my past, it's my present too. I understand, says Jesus. But I don't care, But oh, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. You're the only kind of person I'm here to help, says Jesus. The burden's heavy, but it feels heavier all the time. Then let me carry it, says Jesus. It's just too much for me to bear. Not for me, says Jesus. You don't get it. My offenses are directed towards, aren't just directed towards others, they're against you. Then I am the most suited to forgive them, says Jesus. But the more of the ugliness uh, in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, says Jesus. See, if we don't believe this for ourselves, if we don't believe that Jesus would say this to us, that he would accept us as sinners when we come to him and and continue the work that he's promised to change us, if we don't believe he is that welcoming the sinners, guess what we're not going to be? Welcoming the sinners. And if we can't be that way, we can't be those that are actually in the business of restoring people. If we can't see Jesus this way, then we aren't going to be the people that represent Jesus who is this way. So the foundation for restoring one another has to be seeing that, that restoration is our need before it's our ministry. That we daily, moment by moment, need to come back to Christ and say, Lord, I'm in a bad place the heart is hard. I need to come to you now. And know that he delights that we're coming to him. And that he's able to restore us. Now, look what Paul says in verse 1 of Galatians. He says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him. You who are spiritual. Now, would anybody here ever want to say about themselves, Well, yeah, let me help you. I'm spiritual. <laughs> that seems so awkward, doesn't it? So odd. Don't think of spiritual here as, as this idea of some elite, some second-class group of Christians. In fact, when, when Paul says spiritual, he's he's emphasizing what he's already emphasized, or he's, he's describing what he's already, already emphasized in the book of Galatians. He's describing this absolute necessity of the Spirit's work. Let's quickly look at the Spirit's work in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, here's what we read. Uh, You you, can look up these verses later. It says that the Spirit, we we know that the Spirit brings us to saving faith. It's God's Spirit who draws us to Jesus and makes us perfect. It's God's Spirit who gets us to the end, right? Galatians 3.14 tells us that the Spirit dwells in every believer in Jesus. So if you believe Jesus has died for your sins, has rose from the dead, if you recognize that's the only way that you can be right with God, guess where the Holy Spirit is right now? In you. Paul says in Galatians 4, 6, he teaches us that the Spirit confirms to us that we are God's children. When we're wrestling, we're just about to give up, and we think, I, I just can't quite give up. I've got to trust, I've got to believe that I belong to God. Where's that coming from? It ain't coming from you. It's coming from God's Spirit. According to Galatians 5, Paul tells us that we're called to walk with, that's right, relate to God's Spirit. That all believers have the Spirit in them and all believers are always walking by God's Spirit or relating to God's Spirit. And then in Galatians 5 it's the Spirit who produces us, in us, love for God and others. The fruit of the Spirit is love. He produces it. Now why is this important? Because when Paul says, you who are spiritual, he's not talking about super saints, he's talking about spiritual people who are normal Christians being changed by God's Spirit. So wherever you are in the process, if you believe in Jesus and you are trusting the Spirit of Christ to be changing you, guess what? You can be. You are being restored and can be in the business of restoring others. Do you get me? You don't have to be a super saint. You don't have to have a theological education. Right now, If God's Spirit is applying into your life the gospel of Jesus and you are being restored, guess what you can do? Restore other people. Listen to this. Romans chapter uh, 8. This is Paul writing, writing for the New Living Translation. Paul writes, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You still got one, but you're not controlled by it. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. But now, this is one of those verses that can either assure you or condemn you. You can feel condemned if you feel like I'm not really feeling the Spirit's work right now. You can feel condemned. That's not the point of this. The point of Paul writing this is to let them know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that God's Spirit is the one who's going to do the work to change you. He's going to learn. He's going to teach you how to walk with Him. And again, this is absolutely necessary. Listen. Jesus says this in John chapter 3, again, New Living Translation. Jesus replies to Nicodemus, a leader of Israel, a leading teacher of Israel. He says to him, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again or born of the Spirit." This is so important because when we're talking about restoring each other, we're not talking about producing a program that moves people forward or helps people get out of their sin or delivers them from their drug addiction, as helpful as programs can be. We're talking about being vessels of God's Spirit to bring forth the Gospel and watch God change other people, restore people back to walking with Him. We are... Sojourners who call fellow sojourners to walk with God by the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's God's Spirit who brought us to Christ. It's God's Spirit who taught us to believe in Christ. It's God's Spirit who gave us new life in Christ. It's God's Spirit who dwells in us at the time that we are resurrected by Christ. It's a work of God's Spirit. So when Paul says, "Listen," when Paul says, "You who are spiritually," say, "You who are normal believers walking with Jesus." Now, as I say this, it exposes something about us as modern Western Christians. It exposes that for us, normal Christianity is only doing what you're doing right now, sitting in your chair, listening to But that's not biblical Christianity. It's a part of it. This is a part of how you get equipped. But normal Christianity... Is 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 people who have been changed by the Spirit of Christ, who are following after Christ, and are being made to be like Christ. And part of that change happens as we are in the business of bearing one another's burdens, where as Paul's beginning to clear here to restore one another. He is you guys following me? Now, as I as I see this, I know that right now there's there's part of us that's saying. Oh, that. You can't. That's the point. The whole point of this is there's no spiritual people without the spirit of God. And I want to be clear too, this is not a charismatic doctrine. All believers believe this. God wants to do a work in us and do a work through us. You know one of the things that I've learned most about thirty in 30 years of ministry? One of the things I've learned most is that is that God's use of me has very little to do with me. And what I mean by that, it's not that God doesn't use my personality or that God doesn't give me gifts that he uses. I'm not denying any of that. What I'm saying is, sometimes when I feel like I'm just doing so well with the Lord, I just, I'm, I'm feeling the anointing. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. Then, then I go to minister, it just falls flat. It and, and I'm not just talking about corporate ministry. I'm talking about one-to-one and stuff. Other times, when I feel like I'm barely hanging on, I'm barely hanging on to Jesus by my fingernails, and then God brings someone who's who's just as needy or not, or needier than I am into my path and says, "Now you give them something to eat. You serve this person." And then God will use me in a way that, I'm like, "Wow, Lord, how did you use me to help them when I'm barely hanging on?" Because it's not me; it's him. It's not you; it's him. See, when we are committed to one another as, fellows, as fellow sinners, saints, and sojourners to, re- to restore one another, when we're committed that way, you know who gets the glory? Jesus does, because he's the one who's doing it. Now, here's, here's the thing that we have to be careful of, too. Uh, I think the New King James kind of makes this all one sentence, but the ESV that I'm reading does a little bit separately, where it says... Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. And the, he's connecting us to this idea of restoration. Okay, when you're res, restoring one another in that spirit of, of gentleness. In other words, in the same way that Christ is gentle and lowly, you be gentle and lowly. He says, when you're doing that, you need to be careful because you're going to also be tempted. See, see, as people that are, as people who see restoration. As both our need and our ministry, we need to recognize that when we're trying to help somebody, we're going to be tempted with the thing that they're struggling with, the thing that they're falling prey to, the thing that they're caught in. Now, now some of us, in fact, I've heard some of you say this. All of us have probably said at one time in our lives as Christians. We've said, you know, I just can't, I don't see why that person could be involved in that. I would just never be tempted with that. And you can fill the like, blank. I've heard this so many times, oh, I could never see myself being involved in that. I don't see the temptation in that. And when we do that, you know what we're doing? We're basically saying, I'm above that temptation. But you're not. Now, let me give you maybe a case in point. I, and I hope this doesn't stumble anybody, but I'm gonna just be, I, wanna, I think it's a good way to illustrate this. Personally, I've not really ever had attraction to the same sex, the same gender. Never had a sexual attraction to the same gender. But statistically, a good percentage of you guys have, okay? Men and women. Don't worry about going to ask for a show I have I'm just saying this is, this is reality. It's a reality of our broken world. So, so when, when, when a brother or sister comes to me and is, and this, you have to know how hard it is for brothers and sisters to do this. You guys have to know how hard it is for them to admit when they're having same-sex attractions. When they come to me and they say, I have these same sex attractions, okay, I'm not going to go, I don't get it, why? I want to punch a guy, I want to kiss him, what's the deal? That's stupid, because I might understand that particular aspect of sexual brokenness, but I definitely understand sexual brokenness. I definitely know what sexual sin's about, I definitely know what it means to be broken. And the thing is, if I'm trying to help that person, that brother who, in this situation. I need to be careful, not because I'm going to be tempted to kiss him necessarily. But it might make me start feeling like, well, you know, he seemed to kind of get away with some stuff. Maybe I can get away with some stuff. You can be tempted with this. Uh, Sarah can tell you, there's been many times over the years where I've come home from a, a marriage counseling session and just felt like, oh, man. I mean I gotta pray because I'm just really kind of feeling I that I can easily go down the same path. When, when it comes to restoring each other, we need to be humble enough to know not only does God have to do the work of restoration, but we still constantly, always need him to re- be restoring us and even protecting us as we're doing this ministry. Does that make sense? So, so when we're talking about restoration, this bearing to one another. It's everyone's need and everyone's ministry. 1, 1 Corinthians 10 12 to 13. Paul says, Therefore, let uh, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you. That is not common to man. Pretty plain, isn't it? But God is faithful. And he will not only be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may able, be able to endure. Let me be really clear here. Jesus is still the way. Of escape. And all his resources, including you and I, are part of the way of escape. This is why we have to be in the business of restoring life. I wonder if there's anyone here who feels like I could never go to Jesus with my sin. Man, that would break my heart to think there's someone here who feels like their sin is so bad, they can't go to Jesus with it in Christ's time. And I wonder how many of us here would would know who pops in our mind when I say, who do you call when you're feeling so tempted you need deliverance? I'm wondering if how many of us don't have anybody who pops in our mind. This other way of escape is going to God's people and saying, hey man, would you pray for me? I'm I'm really struggling. I'm not doing too well. I don't want to fall. Or, hey, can you pray for me now because I just fell. I just did something really stupid. I really need you. Guys, this is part of one another.
1: Before we go to the next point,
0: have you guys noticed how this is getting more and more intense through the series? (laughs) Love one another. This sounds so nice. (laughs) Serve one another. Yeah, here's some coffee. (laughs) Now restore one another. Ooh, it's messy. But this is all part of loving one another, isn't it? It's all part of it. Quickly, last two points. We need to see restoration as our need and our ministry, but also we need to see restoration, this bearing one another's burdens, as a demonstration of both Jesus' love and his authority. Look at verse 2. Paul writes, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus sets the standard for bearing one another's burdens. Our work of restoring one another is simply just an application of his work. It's God the Spirit using us to apply the work of God the Son. That's what restoration is. Simple as. Again, let's see what Paul said earlier in Galatians. Galatians 1.4, what does he tell us about Jesus? The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." Look, just even in this one small letter of Galatians, we got some great stuff that we can use to restore people. I feel trapped by the the, the darkness of our time. I thought like I can't shake it loose. No man, Christ came to deliver us from this present age. Let's encourage each other. God can restore us. He can deliver us. I just feel like I'm cursed. I can't break this. Ah. Jesus broke the curse. He broke the curse. I feel that way sometimes too, but you know what? Let's go back to what God says. Let's be restored by what he says, the truth that sets us free. Jesus sets us down for bearing burdens. But also, listen, also verse 2, Jesus commands love. What does it say, verse 2? You do this, you bear one of those burdens, and when you so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we know the law of Christ, right? This is the law of Christ. Jesus says, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, this is important. It's important because Paul here doesn't say in Galatians, and so fulfill the love of Christ. That would have been just as accurate. But he says the law of Christ, why? Because he's dealing with legalists. People who think fulfilling the letter of the Old Testament law is how they're right with God. When the truth is we're only right with God through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can fulfill the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. It's only he can do that to a place of righteousness. We need him to work in us to even move that direction. But also it's important that we recognize that what he's saying is it's not... The law, the Old Testament law that is the expression of God's authority, it's Christ himself. Because when it comes to loving each other this way, listen, love is not just some nice ideal, but the very command of the God who is love. He commands it. Love is not an option for us. We're commanded to love. Listen to this, 1 John chapter 4. John writes, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he's loved us and sent us to be, sent his son to be the propitiation that's the set of of wrath for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love God. One another. Can you see the authority here? The God who is love commands that we do love. Oh, wait a second, John. I thought we said we're, we're saved by grace. We are. We're saved by grace, not by law, but we're saved to love. The love the way Jesus loved us. It's a commandment. Including restoring one another. In fact, listen. This autonomy, this kind of me as an individual, my life, what I experience, this Western mindset that we all tend to have, this autonomy—it's going to eventually bow to Christ's authority, which is why Jesus or Paul says. Sorry, Paul says so clearly here, in verse three, very sobering. Verse he says, "But if for if anyone thinks that he is something he is nothing; he deceives himself." What's he talking about in this context? What Paul's talking about here is is that Jesus would confront the pride that says, I don't need anybody's help, I just need to help myself. I just need to help myself. Have you ever heard that phrase, God helps those who help themselves? That's a lie. You're helpless. That's why Jesus had to come help us. And when we say, I just got to help myself, I just got to do better, and I'm saying this as someone who does this, man, I have this plague of independence. The symptoms come out all the time. I can do it, I'm going to do it myself. I got this. I don't need anybody's help. I hate it when people come to me and say, you know, John, you can't ask for help. I hate it. You know what? I'm Because I know I can, I know I should be more prone to do that. But here's the reality. Th- this, this pride that says, I don't need anybody's help, I just need to help myself, needs to bow to Christ's authority. You no, know, or I need you to restore me, and I need to be involved in the business of restoring others. In fact, listen, this is what's amazing about when we're involved in this restoration ministry. When I seek to restore another, I am actually demonstrating the goodness of God's love. Why, your friends might ask you. Why would you be involved in such a messy way with the people in your church? Why would you get involved in their junk? Because God so loved me, he got involved in my junk. And I want to demonstrate that goodness of Christ's love. But also, listen, when I receive restoration from another, when a brother or sister calls me on, John, you can get help from someone else. When they call me on my pride, someone might say from the outside, Who are they to tell you? Aren't you the pastor? They don't to see you correct them. That's what's supposed to happen, is it? No, no, no. I'm a brother first, I'm a pastor second. I'm a brother forever, I'm a pastor temporarily. When I get corrected, you know what happens when I receive that restoration from another, I demonstrate the goodness of God's Christ's authority. Why would you let that guy tell you off? Because I'm so thankful for God's love for me that he would chase me through another brother to say, it's not good, you're good on this room. God's got something better for you. It all oh, Do we want to be seen as a nice church with good coffee? Or do we want to be seen as a place where Jesus restores sinners? Then let's restore one another. Restoration is about demonstrating Jesus' love and authority. And lastly, restoration requires both personal responsibility and divine accountability. Look at verse 4. Paul writes, but let each one test his own word Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. I think it's New International Version says his reason to boast will be not in comparison to his neighbor. Which is, I think, gets to the idea there. See, here's what Paul's exhorting people to do. He's saying, listen, you need to test yourself against Jesus, not others. See, self-examination actually helps prepare us to help others. When we're willing to, to, to look at our lives and our ministries to Jesus, it really humbles us, doesn't it? It really humbles us. My mom used to say, I, I only live with my mom from the age uh, zero birth till." six and then her and my dad divorced. I didn't live with her again until I was 15 I lived with her for nine months it was the most horrible nine months of my life it was horrible because my dad let us be feral we were wild and my mom had good rules and morals so when I want to put the girly poster on the wall she says absolutely not and they said come on mom she's dressed (laughs) I have high standards and my mom was like you know what I don't want you to compare yourself because I'd say, oh, my friends have naked girls on their wall. And she'd say, I don't want you to compare yourself to the worst. You compare yourself to the best. I hate it when she said that. But you know I've realized now, after being a Christian for many years, is there's something freeing about comparing ourselves to the best. Comparing ourselves to Jesus. Because not only does it show us how much we need Jesus, it humbles us to a place where we're able to help others find Jesus. Listen to how Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 7. Sorry, yeah, Matthew 7. He says this. Why do you see see the speck that's in your brother's eye? That guy needs to be restored. But you do not notice the log in your own eye. Or how can you see your brother? Let me take that speck out of your eye. When there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. That's what Jesus says. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know what the thing is? We know this verse, right? This is also prefaced by, you know, don't judge. Lest you be judged, right? We all know this verse, but here's the problem. We see it as if, yeah, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to try to take a speck out of my brother's eye. I've got too many of my own issues. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, let me take that big old log out of your eye, so that you're able to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Because you need restoration and he needs restoration. Are you getting it? This is how it works. So when we examine ourselves, when we're tempted to be prideful, look at us and I'm like, yeah, they're really messed up. I should go be the hero and help them. He said, No, wait, second. sorry, Father. Show me. First of all, I'll be tempted when I'm going to help them. And also, I know I've got my own junk. Should show me, help me to deal with my junk so that I am able. To help them with theirs. This is the point. But also look at verse 5. For we will each have to bear his own load. for each of us. You see, we're accountable for our own choices, not other people's choices. And again, self-examination doesn't just prepare us to help others. Listen, it prepares us to receive Christ's reward. Do you know that? Because you know, when you're humble enough to think, Lord, I want to be about restoration. I want to be about your business of restoration. But I know the only way I'm going to do this is to humble myself before you. And to do that, I have to see myself as personally accountable to you as the judge. And personally, the standard is me measured against you. So apart from your righteousness that you give me as a free gift, I couldn't stand before you or the Father. So I'm humble enough to see that, Lord. I need this. You humble me to see this. And now I want to help you uh, be involved with helping other people. When we do that, guess what's happening? We're being prepared for reward. Is that important to you? What's more important? Retiring well or being prepared for reward in heaven? Oh, I know you know the good Christian answer. But what is actually more important? What's more important? Your children excelling when you didn't excel? Or are you preparing for reward? What's more important? You looking good to your mates or are you preparing for your words in heaven? I hope you've all seen through in the beginning of this message that it's only through the grace of God that any of us stand with God. We're, we're saved by grace, not, through, not by faith, not, not of works. But I hope you also see that he saves us. I hope we're seeing this in this one another series. That God saves us To use us to save others. And we can't, we have no accountability for the choices they make, but we do have accountability for how we sought to humbly love and restore them. Listen to this. Paul writing the idea in, in the context of his ministry and Apollos' ministry and how they're just really just stewards of what God's called them to do. He talks about the foundation that can only be built on is Christ. And then he says, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the day of Christ's return and judgment, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he what? He receives reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he suffers loss, though he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. Do you see how Paul's making it clear? This is not about are you saved or not saved? It is about are you preparing for what God's prepared you to save you for? Are you preparing for that? Listen, when I stand before God, he's not gonna ask me, John, how many of the books of the Bible did you exegete? Anybody here know what exegete means? few, Yeah, Roy does, the theological student. Yeah. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say, what was the average Sunday attendance of the church you pastor? How many missionaries did you send out? None of those things are going to matter. What's going to matter, he's going to say, how did you give away me? How were you as a restored one in the business of restoring I'm going to be rewarded for that. And I'll tell you, this is the thing that really sobers me at times. It sobers me, especially when I go to leaders' conferences and guess what they talk about? How many people are in your church? Ooh, you're doing well. Yes, I am. These are the things that burn. What really matters to Jesus is how we demonstrate is restoring salvation to the world by being about the business of restoring one another. That's the burdens we bear. Father, thank you for loving us. For loving us enough to send Jesus. And Lord, we say here we are, send us. Fill us with your strength. Lord, teach us to, yeah, Lord, teach us to do what only you can do. <laughs> Teach us to, 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 to wait on you to do what only you can do. Please, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The last slide that says consider, I'm going to just leave that up for you guys to observe. 37 minutes. Sorry, a little long. 37 minutes. But that doesn't include two minutes to to down. Bless you guys. Thanks for being impatient. Uh, go to a house group if you, if you can this week. And if you need prayer for anything, please let a seat to ask for that.